write letters to Santa. Maybe they ask for what they would like for Christmas. And many of them will ask for the usual kinds of presents. Uh, for, for little dolls or toys or Playstations and all those kind of things. But some will ask for really big things. No matter how unlikely they may seem. Like this little girl Samantha. Who wanted a little sister. But not right now. In about two years time. Very precise. Or another little girl who wanted to have five feet long hair. As well as a DSI and also an elf. Or a kid who in addition to wanting a remote controlled truck. Asked Santa for, to Santa, for Santa to make his brother a bit nicer. <laughs> or even more impossible, Hunter, who wanted a rainbow unicorn that poops ice cream. I don't know how he'd want to eat ice cream if that's where it came from, but that was his idea anyway. And then last of all, a kid, who just had a very simple request. He just wanted to be turned into a dragon. It's crazy what kids ask for Christmas, isn't it? But it isn't just kids that ask for outrageous gifts. In Psalm 51, David prayed for something outrageous. He prayed for mercy when he only deserved condemnation. When you read this beautiful psalm together, a very well-known psalm, together and just try and understand what this is all about and let it just sink into our hearts this morning so Psalm 51 have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blow out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, 
you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. (coughs) David here used the same three words to describe his wrongdoing as we saw last week in Psalm 32. Here he talks about my transgressions, which last week we're saying is his rebellious, his rebellion against God's authority. My iniquity, which is a straying from God's path. And my sin, which is about falling short of God's standard. But unlike with Psalm 32, this time we know what David had done wrong. The introduction to this psalm says that this was written when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is one of the the darkest episodes of David's life. David was king and he should have been leading his people out to battle. But instead he stayed home and sent his army out to fight. Then he saw Bathsheba bathing. And instead of turning away from this married woman, he sent for her and committed adultery with her. He was able to do this because Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was a soldier on the front line of David's army. So David slept with Uriah's wife while Uriah was risking his life to fight for David. Now David thought that was the end of it. Just a one night stand, that was it. But then he heard that Bathsheba was pregnant. And as Uriah was away from home, well the baby couldn't have been his. So what would David do? Well to try and cover up his sin, he brought Uriah back from the front line. But because of this man's strong sense of honour, he refused to go home to his wife while his brothers in arms were out in the field. And finally David came up with this plan. He sent Uriah back to the battle, carrying a sealed letter, instructing his commander to arrange for Uriah to be killed in action. Uriah was basically ordered to take, uh, to carry his own death warrant. Then David quickly married Bathsheba and claimed his son as his own. David had committed adultery and murder. And for a whole year, it looked like he'd got away with it. But then God sent Nathan to David, a prophet, to David with a powerful message. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife as your own. The game was up. David had tried to cover his sin from everybody else. But God had seen it all. So what would David do next? How would David respond? 
Would he continue to try and cover up his guilt and hide from God? Well, no. Instead, he responded with this honest confession. I have sinned against the Lord. And in this psalm, David expanded on that confession. And he expanded on that confession in five ways that help us to understand the true depth of his sinfulness. So verse 3, he said, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David had tried to forget his sin and just move on with his life. But he wasn't able. His sin stuck in his mind. And he was suffering for it. Perhaps this is what we saw in Psalm 32 last week when David wrote, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Sin is distressing. It sticks in our brain. It gets into our souls. And it pulls us down. Secondly, David said in verse 4, Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you, Lord, I have sinned. Now, some people object to this because they think that David here was trying to dodge his responsibility of sinning against Uriah, against Bathsheba, against her child, against the whole nation. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think David writes this to try and minimize his sin. Rather, David was facing up to the ultimate reason why sin is so serious. It is because sin is first and foremost against God. Of course, hurting other people is awful. It's terrible. But that's not the full horror of sin. Instead, because of the supreme value of God... The worst aspect of sin is that our sin is an attack on him. It's an offence against the one who is worthy of all of the glory and all of the honour in this world. And so our sin is primarily against God. It was actually that understanding of what sin really is about that stopped Joseph from falling into a very similar kind of sin when he was seduced by Potiphar's wife. He responded this, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That's the true seriousness of sin. Sin is against God. And so thirdly, David here did not try and excuse his actions. He didn't say anything about his overwhelming desires or the pressure of his position or any other thing that would try and minimise what he did. He simply said this, 
You are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David admitted his actions were wrong and that God was just when he condemned them. Before a holy God, we have no excuse. No mitigating factors. Nobody else to blame. We can only say that we are the ones who are in the wrong. Fourthly, David said that he'd always been like this. Look at verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, David said. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I think these actions, they might have been particularly horrific in David's life. But David recognised that really they were not out of character for him. Because instead, right from the start of his life, he had been, he had had a sinful nature that had been rebelling against God. And against God's standard. So this wasn't David falling short of God's standard. At this point, he'd done that all through his life. It's one of the reasons why we don't have any right to stand and condemn anybody else for their sin. Because the shocking reality is that the same root of sin is in our life that it is in anybody else. And so all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And that's the case despite the fact that God has been speaking his truth into this world. Lastly, David said, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. David knew that God was looking for inner purity and integrity of his heart. He'd read God's word. That he was supposed to serve God with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his strength. And yet still David disobeyed. He had refused to obey. And instead followed his sinful desires. So this is the depth of David's sinfulness. This is the horror of his wickedness. He was distressed. Because he had sinned against God and done what was wrong. And he realized that this was just the latest in a life of disobedience against God and against against his standards. And the uncomfortable reality is, folks, that today we're exactly the same. In of ourselves, We're exactly the same. We too stand guilty before God. And yet despite all of this, David began this psalm with the most remarkable request. Look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. David stood guilty and deserving of judgment. And yet, here he is asking for mercy. 
What right did he have to ask for that? And he asked for it, not just a little bit of mercy. He asked for a huge amount. An incredible gift. First of all, he pleaded for forgiveness. He used three pictures to emphasize his desperate longing to be right with God. First of all, verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Blot them out. Like deleting the record of a crime. Or wiping out a debt from a ledger. David longed for his rebellion against God's authority to just simply be erased. For it no longer to be on his record. No sign of it ever to be seen again. Then he says in verse 2, Wash away all my iniquity. Like washing dirt out of, out of clothes. David wanted all this straying from God's path just to be washed away. So he could stand clean again in God's sight. And verse 2 again, cleanse me from my sin. Like the priests in the Jewish system that who would perform a purification ritual. David wanted to be cleansed from all of his falling short of God's standard. And to emphasize his longing for this and the extent of this that he was looking for, David repeated these requests in verse 7 and verse 9. But this time he developed the full impact of what he was saying. Have a look at it, verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Do you see what David was asking for? Nothing less than complete, full, total forgiveness. He wanted to be able to know that he was standing before God. Completely righteous. And if that's not good enough, well, David wanted more. David was also asking for complete transformation. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And when you write a steadfast spirit within me. David was asking for a completely new beginning. With a new heart. A new spirit. One that would be committed to God. One that would be committed to following God's will. One that would be passionate to keep on going in serving God with everything he was and everything he had. One that would be committed to the following in the right direction and not falling back into sin again. Thirdly, also with this, he wanted to know that he'd always be accepted into God's presence. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I think maybe this was such a fear for David Because he had seen the previous king, King Saul, experience this very same thing. Because of Saul's disobedience, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
So David pleaded with God that this wouldn't happen to him. That because of his disobedience, God's presence wouldn't be taken from him. And then finally, David asked for renewed joy. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David had been burdened with his guilt. He'd been weighed down by his sin. But now David was asking God to fill him with the joy of knowing that he was right with God. That he was in communion with God. Because David knew there was no greater joy he could have. So this is David's request. Forgiveness of all of his sins. Transformation of his heart and his spirit. Acceptance into God's presence. And joy to fill his heart. What an incredible request from a man who was guilty of such a terrible sin. But you know what's even more incredible? Even more incredible than David asking for this? Is that this is what David received. Yes, there were serious consequences to David's sin that stuck with his family for years to come. But his sin was forgiven. He was restored to his relationship with the Lord. Nathan told him that the Lord has taken away your sin. And the amazing good news, folks, is today that this is what God wants each and every one of us to enjoy today. We who, like David, stand guilty before a holy God who have sinned against Him all through our lives, rebelled against His authority, strayed from His will, fallen short of God's standard. We who should stand guilty, God wants to forgive completely. The promise of the new covenant is that through Jesus, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God will no longer remember our sins. Complete, total forgiveness. And we can also experience a radical transformation because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we can know that we will always be accepted into God's presence. Because God's promise is, never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. Never will I forsake you. And we can experience the filling of joy As even although you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As incredible as it sounds, this is what God wants each and every one of us to experience today. 
doesn't matter what we've done this week, last month, last year, or that thing that we did 20 years ago or so that that just sticks in our brain and we just can't get rid of it. God wants to bring us into the joy of His salvation. But what right did David have to ask for this incredible gift? What could he offer to pay for it? Well, of course, nothing. David did not ask based on his past achievements or his successes. David was not trying to bargain with God for this. He didn't even try and earn it through future works or through sacrifices. In fact, he said, verse 16, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. So this is how David came in this psalm. He came empty-handed. He came in complete brokenness. Bringing nothing but his repentance and shame. And he simply asked for mercy on the basis of God's love. Do you see that right at the very start of the psalm, verse 1? Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion. That's the only basis that David had. This was the only ground that he could stand on. It was God's unfailing love. And his great compassion to his people. And it's exactly the same for us. We've got no right to demand God's mercy. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We can only accept it as a loving gift of His grace. Grace through Christ. Because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. David didn't fully understand how God would provide for this forgiveness through Christ. But there's a little clue in this psalm to it. The means of forgiveness. When David asked God to cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop is mentioned first in the Bible as the shrub that was used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb, on the top and the sides of the doors of the houses of the Israelites to save them from the final plague that was going to come on the firstborn children of the Egyptians. God's promise was, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This points forward to the ultimate Passover lamb. The one who would lay down his life For sinners on the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So David experienced God's forgiveness that would be paid for ultimately by the blood of Jesus. But just finally, forgiveness wasn't the end of that process with David. This psalm doesn't end with that plea for forgiveness and that's it. David goes on in a wholehearted response to it. Just very briefly, just let me point out these verses. You can have a look at them yourself uh, later. Uh, Verse 13. His response included evangelism. As he promised, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. David wanted to share the message of God's forgiveness that he'd experienced with others. Secondly, include praise as David promised to glorify God for his mercy. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. Verse 14 and verse 16. And finally, included fellowship as David looked beyond his own needs. And he prayed for the prosperity of Jerusalem of the community of God's people, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And I think this is a good way to think about how God's forgiveness should impact our hearts. That if we truly have been impacted by by the amazing mercy and grace of God, then that experience of forgiveness should motivate us to tell others of God's grace. In evangelism. It should motivate us to celebrate God's glory in praise. And thirdly, to build up God's people in fellowship. So this is the amazing news that we can celebrate with David today. Despite the awfulness of our sin, if we confess it before God and put our faith in Christ alone, then we can be fully forgiven. We can be completely transformed. We can be welcomed, accepted into God's presence. And we can be filled with the joy of God's salvation. So that we can then go on to be involved in building God's kingdom and glorifying God's name. Because of Christ, Sinners like us can stand completely clean in God's sight.